heavy, heavy weight that God has put on my heart is the church, you know, the church is um, apathetic and casual and, and, and walking with him in a way so much below the call of the scripture. When I read the letters to the churches in the book of Revelation, the one that always bites me is the church of Laodicea where he talks about them being lukewarm and that he wants to spit them out of his mouth. And, and I've for so long wanted to preach from the Old Testament scriptures, like in Deuteronomy, where, where God says to his people through Moses, he says, I place before you blessing and curse. Blessing if you obey these commands that I give you. And he expands on what all that looks like. And curse if you don't. And he expands on what all that looks like. But I get a lot of pushback about being legalistic. Maybe I get less than I think, but a little bit feels like a lot. And I've been searching for the Lord to open up the New Testament to the principles that I want to preach from the Old Testament so that I can feel very confident that I'm not preaching law, but that I'm preaching biblical principle in relationship with the Lord from the Scriptures. So this week, I literally stumbled into some Scriptures, and then he's just been blowing me up from those scriptures. And that's where I want to talk today. And the perspective of the talk is like, kind of what's your worldview? Do you see the world? Do you see all the world how you did before you became a Christian? Or do you have a worldview that's different since you've become a Christian? And then what's your perspective on Christianity? Like what does it mean to be Christian? What's the call on our lives? And I don't know if I shared this with you or not, I don't want anybody to be mad at me. Don't, please don't get mad at me. But before we started to have those three days where we shared God and Jesus and Scripture with Tanya so that she could make a decision about giving her life to the Lord, when I was praying, I kept having these thoughts that maybe the church is casual about their walk with the Lord because the Lord was given to them. The, the word that really came to me was cheap in a cheap way. Pray this prayer, say these words, go to heaven forever. Okay, easy. Versus, are you really ready to die to yourself? Do you understand what it means to give up your life to the Lord Jesus? And and if you come into the kingdom from that perspective, your walk is going to be way different maybe than what your walk might be like if if Jesus was offered to you as cheap. So, I'm going to give you two perspectives. I had a conversation with a few people from church. I'm like, man, I got, this, I got these scriptures, and I feel this message birthing up inside of me, but I got, there were two words that I used, um, a weight and a burden. And one of the people that I texted, because I was asking him to pray for me, that I would catch the Lord's heart, that I would catch the wind of the Lord with this message, which is going to be like a lot of messages, I think. And I, one of the people kept pushing back on me in the text. It was awesome. It's like, what do you mean by weight and burden? Well, I think it means this. What, what do you mean by that, this? What does that look like? Well, it looks like this. And, and he kept prodding me, prodding me. It was really great because it forced me to think about what's this thing I'm feeling. And at the end of this text conversation, he texts me like, kaboom, that's it. The Lord will be in that if that's what he's trying to tell you. And I'm like, kaboom, thank you. I try to capture kind of what that was in, in, a, in a little bit of an outline. And let me give it to you. There's like Christian life, 
from one extreme. I'll call that extreme A and Christian life from another extreme, which is extreme B. But quite frankly, I, I pretty much think I understand extreme A. I don't know where the limit on B is, but I, I'll give you a sense for it. But I think it's, it's got to be broader than this, but this is just what I have. So Christian life, what's your perspective? Extreme A, get saved, meet God in a saving sense, become a better person, live my life, die, go to heaven, enjoy heaven, but with little or no eternal reward or treasure. Extreme A. You know, I'm a Christian. Like, like Paul says in one of his letters that, you know, if your works are of hay and straw, they're going to be burned. You'll still be saved, but they're going to be burned up versus having these treasures that are gold and silver and, and jewels and things that are going to stand the fire of the test into eternity. And then you're going to have those things forever and ever and ever and ever. Option A, get saved, get to know God a little bit. The, the end all of my Christian walk is that I'm becoming a better person. Someday I die, I get to live my life, I go to heaven, I be with Jesus. Amen. Christian life extreme B, get saved, meet God, abandon my life, become like Christ in things like radical love and extreme sacrifice, live like Christ in things like radical power, supernatural lifestyle, incredible influence, and eternal world-changing fruitfulness. Meet God in an intimate sense. Know God. Know God more and more and more. Go to heaven. Hear the words, well done, and enjoy eternally the treasure and reward stored up from this life. I'm not here to talk about are you saved or aren't you saved. I'm tired of having that conversation and debating and wondering and, Lord, is this really what you're saying? This set of teachings assumes you are saved. Whether you're saved in the sense that your, your salvation is going to go as through fire and there's maybe no reward for you in heaven other than heaven itself and the glory of God, or whether your salvation has then brought you a place of amazing sacrificial works unto the Lord so that you have stored up amazing and wonderful treasures and rewards in heaven and you hear the, the Lord say to you, well done, I've trusted you with small things, I can trust you with big things. Somewhere in there is all of us. I don't think... Any of us have to worry about bumping into the ceiling of fruitfulness, that there is no greater opportunity for us to serve God because we've served him so well. Okay, so it's not about better or worse, but it's about more or less. God is infinite. There's always going to be more of God. That's going to be, I think, the hugest blessing of heaven is that an infinite God will continually release more and more of his glory for people to see in heaven and just say, whoa, like the, the cherubim, I think it is, that all they can do is scream out, holy, 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 because as they see more revelation of God's glory, they just, they're overwhelmed by it. I think that's going to be the greatest thing of heaven. Not about better or worse, but more or less. And that we don't compare ourselves to one another, but we compare ourselves to potential. Scripture gives us a peek at potential. But as soon as we start to compare ourselves to one, or one another, inevitably what happens is we'll find somebody to compare ourselves that looks less good than us. And then we'll start to feel good about where we're at on a class curve and we become complacent and comfortable. But if we compare ourselves only to potential that is infinite and always available to us, then there's going to be a tension because we don't always achieve 
Every moment, God will show us something that we don't have yet, and there's a tension and a desire to have it that we're going to have to live with as we go after it. But man, the glory is just beyond description if we stay hungry and passionate. Just like Jesus said to the church at Laodicea, be zealous. If we can walk in zeal for the Lord, there is no limit to what we can have. And we've got to walk away from the deception of trying to compare ourselves to one another. It's not about a class curve. It's not about better or worse. It's about to what level of the potential that God has placed before us that we will go after and achieve. So A, this first extreme, is fruitful. It is. It's fruitful. It's fruitful for the person that gets saved because they got saved, and it's fruitful for God because he loves that person. But the other extreme is fruitful for the person because they got saved. It's fruitful for God because he loves them, but it's multiplied and magnified fruitfulness for God because more people got saved and more people got to see the glory of the Lord. And it's multiplied for the person because of the treasure and reward that they store up for themselves in heaven eternally. I'm going to read you just three scriptures today. The first scripture is Second Chronicles chapter 14. The second scripture is Second Chronicles chapter 15, and the third is Second Chronicles chapter 16. So I'm going to sit down to read it because it's a long piece of scripture, but it's foundation for us. It's so amazing. There's two words that I want you to listen for in there. There's principles that I'm going to expound on, but there's two words I want you to hear there, and there's three words in scripture that are big, 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 powerful words. I'm not sure if the third one is in there, but I know the first two are. These are those three words. The first one is if... The second one is because, and the third one that I'm not sure in there is then. If you pick up on the parts of Scripture that say, if this, then that, or this because of that, you will understand that most of the things that God's calling us to are conditional upon us actually believing or actually moving with him so that those things can be accomplished in our lives. If, then, because. The Scriptures I'm going to read to you are the account, the scriptural account of the king of Judah, whose name was Asa, King Asa, and his reign over the southern kingdom. Now, there's the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom, typically in scripture, is called Israel. The southern kingdom is called Judah, but the kingdom of Judah is the tribes of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin, and then the northern kingdom would be the rest of them. I would struggle to try to name to you all 12 tribes. This is the reign of King Asa accounted in Scripture in Second Chronicles. I'm going to sit down because it's a bunch. All right. Second Chronicles, chapter 14, verse 1. So Abijah slept with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David, and his son Asa became king in his place. You know what? I'm going to do this different than I thought. I had three principles that I saw in these scriptures. And then I had four, and then I had five. And while, while we're worshiping, I got number eight. I think what I'll do is I'll read you the principles, and then you can see them in the scriptures, and we'll talk about it in a minute. So here's the eight concepts or principles that, that the Lord is going to share with us as, as we go through and unpack Asa's reign as king. 
First, the Lord is looking for hearts that are completely His. It says His eyes are searching the earth, looking for hearts that are completely His for the purpose of strengthening strengthening those people like us. If He finds in me a heart that's completely His, then He's going to want to strengthen me up so that I can have this amazing influence on the world that He desires us to have. The second one is this. The Lord is with you when you are with Him. The third one is, and if you seek him, he will let you find him. The next one, but if you forsake him, he will forsake you. The next one is, in their distress they turn. And this is a really huge principle. People come to Jesus in distress. Most people meet the Lord because some kind of thing happened in their life. Remember 9-11? You know, churches or whatever, churches or whatever. Then somebody drives an airplane into some buildings in New York. Thousands of people are killed and the churches are full. Because people are looking for answers. They're concerned and they're afraid. And in their distress, they turn to the Lord. The problem is when they don't feel the stress anymore, they don't bother with God. He's the God of what I need you. Don't go too far away. I'll be back if something comes up. Versus the God who owns and controls our lives. So the principle of in their distress, they turned. The next one is... There is need for strength and courage in our walk with the Lord. There is reward for our work. And we have to be careful that we don't confuse our reward with His reward. The reward for His work is us. The souls that have given themselves to Jesus as Lord and trusted in Him as Savior. That's His reward. But there's reward for us in our work. But the reward isn't absent of work. He's called us two scriptures that popped into my mind. One from, I think it's Jude, the other is Ephesians. That we were created by God for good works in Christ Jesus. And there's a reward for our work. And then the last one is about, um, this is the one that came into my mind when we were worshiping. Many will defect from other kingdoms as we respond to the upward call. As the Lord was speaking through Phyllis about this upward call, get up, church, get up, church. He's calling you to a high place. You'll see from King Asa's life that people defect from one kingdom to another kingdom when they see God in their presence. And that's the kingdom of darkness. People come out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light when they see that God is with us in the kingdom of light. Okay, now let's read the scriptures. Deep breath. Breathe, 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 breathe. So Abijah slept with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David, and his son Asa became king in his place. The land was undisturbed for ten years during his days. Asa did good and right in the sight of the Lord his God, for he removed the foreign altars and high places, tore down the sacred pillars, cut down the ashram, and commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers and to observe the law and the, and the commandment. He also removed the high places and the incense altars from all the cities of Judah. And the kingdom was undisturbed under him. He built fortified cities in Judah since the land was undisturbed. And there was no one at war with him during those years because the Lord had given him rest. For he said to Judah, let us build these cities and surround them with walls and towers, gates and bars. The land is still ours because we have sought the Lord our God. We have sought him and he has given us rest on every side. So they built and prospered. Now Asa had an army of 300,000 from Judah, bearing large shields and spears, and 280,000 from Benjamin, bearing shields and wielding bows. 
All of them were valiant warriors. Now Zerah, the Ethiopian, came out against them with an army of a million men and 300 chariots, and he came to Merishah. So Asa went out to meet him, and they drew up in battle formation in the valley of Zephathath and Merishah. Then Asa called to the Lord. He called to the Lord his God and said, Lord, there was no one besides you to help in the battle between the powerful and those who have no strength. So help us, Lord our God, for we trust in you and in your name have come against this multitude, O Lord. You are our God. Let not man prevail against you. So the Lord routed the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. Asa and the people who were with him pursued them as far as Gerar. And so many Ethiopians fell that they could not recover, for they were shattered before the Lord and before his army. And they carried away very much plunder. They destroyed all the cities around Gerar, for the dread of the Lord had fallen on them. And they despoiled all the cities, for there was much plunder in them. They also struck down those who owned livestock, and they carried away large numbers of sheep and camels. Then they returned to Jerusalem. Chapter 15. Now the Spirit of God came upon, or came on, Azariah, the son of Obed. And he went out to meet Asa and said to him, Listen to me, Asa. See, God had just given Asa this huge victory over a million Ethiopians, 300 chariots. Now God's about to describe with him how he can walk and live in that kind of victory. Listen to me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you when you are with him. And if you seek him, he will let you find him. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. For many days Israel without, was without the true God and without a teaching priest and without law. But in their distress they turned to the Lord God of Israel and they sought him and he let them find him. In those times there was no peace to him who went out or to him who came in. For many disturbances afflicted all the inhabitants of the land. Nation was crushed crushed by nation and city by city, for God troubled them with every kind of distress. But you, he's speaking to Asa, he's speaking to us, but you be strong and do not lose heart, for there is reward for your work. Now when Asa heard these words and the prophecy which Azariah the son of Obed the prophet spoke, he took courage and removed the abominable idols from all the land of Judah and Benjamin and from the cities which he had captured in the hill country of Ephraim. He then restored the altar of the Lord, which was in front of the porch of the Lord. He gathered all Judah and Benjamin and those from Ephraim, Manasseh and excuse me. He gathered all Judah and Benjamin and those from Ephraim, Manasseh and Simeon, who resided with them. For many defected to him from Israel when they saw that the Lord God was with him. So they assembled at Jerusalem in the third month of the fifteenth year of Asa's reign. They sacrificed to the Lord that day 700 oxen and 7,000 sheep from the spoil they had brought. They entered into the covenant to seek the Lord their God of their fathers with all their heart and soul. And whoever would not seek the Lord, the, God of, the Lord God of Israel, should be put to death, whether small or great, man or woman. Moreover, they made an oath to the Lord with a loud voice and shout, with shouting, with trumpets and with horns. All Judah rejoiced concerning the oath, for they had sworn with their whole heart and had sought him earnestly, and he let them find him, so the Lord gave them rest on every side. 
He also removed Makah, the mother of King Asa, from the position of queen mother because she had made a horrid image as an Asherah. And Asa cut down her horrid image, crushed it, and burned it at the brook Kidron. But the high places were not removed from Israel. Nevertheless, Asa's heart was blameless in all his days. He brought into the house of God the dedicated things of his father and his own dedicated things, silver and gold and utensils. And there was no more war until the 35th year of Asa's reign. Chapter 16. In the 36th year of Asa's reign, Basha, king of Israel, came up against Judah and fortified Ramah in order to prevent anyone from going out or coming in to Asa, king of Judah. Then Asa brought out silver and gold from the treasuries of the house of the Lord and the king's house and sent them to Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, who lived in Damascus, saying, Let there be a treaty between you and me as between my father and your father. Behold, I have sent you silver and gold. Go, break your treaty with Basha, king of Israel, so that he will withdraw from me. So Ben-Hadad listened to king Asa, and sent the commanders of his armies against the cities of Israel. And they conquered Aijan, Dan, Abel, Maim, and all the store cities of Naphtali. When Basha heard of it, he ceased fortifying Ramah and stopped his work. Then King Asa brought all Judah, and they carried away the stones of Ramah and its timber with which Basha had been building. And with them he fortified two other places. At that time, Hanani, the seer, came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, Because you have relied on the king of Aram and have not relied on the Lord your God, therefore the army of the king... There's another principle that I didn't even have in my list. Relied on the, on the king of Aram and have not relied on the Lord your God. Therefore, the army of the king of Aram has escaped out of your hand. Were not the Ethiopians and Lubim an immense army with very many chariots and horsemen, yet because you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. You have acted foolishly in this. Indeed, from now on, you will surely have wars. Then Asa was angry with the seer and put him in prison, for he was enraged at him for this. And Asa oppressed some of the people at the same time. Now the acts of Asa, from first to last, behold, they are written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. In the 39th year of his reign, Asa became diseased in his feet. His disease was severe, yet even in his disease he did not seek the Lord, but the physicians. So Asa slept with his fathers, having died in the 41st year of his reign. They buried him in his own tomb, which he had cut out for himself in the city of David, and they laid him in the resting place which he had filled with spices and various kinds of blended, various kinds, blended perfumes and blah, 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 blah. So there you have the reign of King Asa over the southern kingdom of Judah. Let me just give you back these principles quickly. I'll give you another thought and then we'll get out of here today. The Lord is looking for hearts that are completely his to strengthen for his purposes. The Lord is with you when you are with him. And if you seek him, he will let you find him. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. In their distress, they turned. There is need for strength and courage in our walk with the Lord. There is reward for our work. And many will defect from other kingdoms 
when they see that the Lord is with us. King Asa's reign is a picture of life, our life with the king. And it's a picture of um, potential. It's a picture of victory. And it's a picture of things left on the table. God said to him, after having given him victory over one million Ethiopians, that if you'll be with me, I'll be with you. If you seek me, I'll let you find me. But if you forsake me, I will forsake you. And Asa did a good job, but he didn't do a great job. And I think maybe because he had success, that's why pride is such a terrible thing in the kingdom, he started to rely on natural things and stopped relying on God as his provision, as his everything. So there was potential, there was realized potential, but there was a tremendous amount left on the table. Remember the scripture? I I don't remember it specifically, but where there was going to be this battle and and the Lord told the king to uh, to shoot the arrows into the ground and he shot some arrows into the ground, but he didn't shoot all the arrows into the ground. He left some arrows in his quiver and God said, oh man, you shot those arrows and because of that, you're going to have a certain victory, but if you'd have shot all the arrows, all the arrows, you would have had absolute victory. In a sports analogy, coaches will tell their players, don't leave anything on the field or, or leave everything on the field. If you had something to give and you didn't give it and we lost the game, you're going to have regret because you didn't leave it all on the field. And that's what the Lord is telling us. He's like, man, this is the only chance you get to serve me with faith. This is the only chance that you get to influence the outcome of lives in this world for my kingdom. Don't leave anything undone. Meet your potential. Your potential isn't in you. It's in him. The last, the last point I want to make before we go today is this. Relationship with the Lord is defined by him. He defines how we can have relationship with him. In in our context, it starts with in his son. You have relationship, and I have relationship with God in Christ Jesus. He defines relationship. He says, I'll be with you if you're with me. If you seek after me, I'll let you find me. But if you forsake me, I will forsake you. I'll demonstrate all of those in New Testament scriptures in the weeks to come. The point is, he defines relationship between himself and mankind, but we put the boundaries on it. We're the ones that put limits on it. God doesn't put limits on it because he gives us choice. He says, I set before you blessing and curse. And if you read those scriptures and you're Israel, you're like, wow, amazing. You're going to live in houses that you didn't build. You're going to eat from fields you didn't plant. You're going to drink from wells that you didn't dig. The uh, the, the harvest of your crops, your children are going to, you're not going to have any six-fingered kids, no deformities, no nothing, everything, if you'll walk with me. And, and I've been really pondering, like, I'm glad I don't have so much of this anymore, but I used to deal with what if, but what about, but I don't understand, but what if. And I think there's a real difference between curse and consequence. If I'm a Christian... And I belong to the Lord, and his spirit dwells inside of me. I mean, all those things would be definitions of being a Christian. And and certain promises, certain things happen to me. They're not God punishing me. 
They're consequences of living in a fallen world. And my perspective has to be that God is good. No matter what I encounter in my life, God is good. If I ever doubt that God is good, all I have to do is think about Jesus. Off the throne to take on flesh. Off the throne onto the cross. Why? Because God loves me. And he wants to have relationship with me. So as I stumble into issues of life, they're consequences. They're not punishment. God chastens, he disciplines, but the punishment, the wrath for sin, already been dealt with on the cross for me and for you because we're in Christ Jesus. So the question then becomes, which extreme or where in the space between the extremes are we going to live our lives with the Lord? I think you can live at the extreme that says, I met God, I got saved, I lived my life, I became a better person in the process, I die, I go to heaven. It's awesome. Heaven can't be anything but awesome. It's infinitely, immeasurably better than the alternative. But at the other end is a, is a, is a life that's totally surrendered to the Lord that has an influence on darkness in such a way that souls are won and disciples are made and sick people are are made well and and people that don't have an ear get an ear and people that don't have hands get fingers and people whose skin is all burned up gets brand new fresh skin. There's a a life that's going to get to stand before the Lord and hear the words, well done, good and faithful. Enter into your master's rest. You are faithful with little things. I could give you big things. I'm not here to argue about are you saved or aren't you saved, but I think the Lord, and he spoke it to us through Phyllis today, is calling us up. He's calling us up to a high place, but nothing's free, nothing's cheap. To have more of God requires that there be less of us, that as we die to ourselves, we live more to Jesus. And as that flesh gets nailed to the cross and gets kept on the cross, then we become like King Asa. When he went to battle with was it Basha, the king? That's, that's Israel. I mean, that's literally the 12 tribes of Jacob separated and now having a war against each other. Can you imagine how that must have felt to God? But God was with Asa. And he said, man, if you would have just trusted in me for this like you trusted in me for that, you'd never even have to battle with this guy that you had to send all the gold and silver to to get his help. I'd have given you him too. That's the question before us. How much are we willing to go to bring about God's will in this world? Not measuring against each other, but measuring against the potential that God has given us in our lives. Amen? Amen. Father God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for just glorious worship, Lord. Thank you that you're opening up the scriptures to us. And and maybe you've all seen this before, but it's new to me. And I'm so blessed, Lord. I'm so blessed to learn from you more and more about you, to see our lives with Jesus portrayed in King Asa's life with you. Lord, I pray that each and every one of us, at whatever place in our walk we are, would see that there's more and that we would have a passionate desire for that more. Help us, Lord. Help us to just continually be like Jesus in every way. Bring about your kingdom, your purpose, your will through your church. And we say thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you all.